On this week's episode of 90 Degrees, we are joined by Jessica Brandt, researcher for the MLB Network and the NHL Network. Today, we are talking about sports betting and traditional media, MLB betting and advantage plays. Let's dive in to the sharp side and look at the right angles in sports betting. Big bomb, bomb, bangers. Welcome back bangers. to episode 15 of 90 Degrees, the show where we discuss the right betting angles. Coincidentally, 15 degrees is about one-sixth of the way to 90 degrees, so that's kind of cool. I'm your host, Kevin Davis, and today we're welcoming in Jessica Brandt. You can find her on Twitter at Jessica D. Brandt. Jessica, what's the word? Well, I, I don't know. Is it, is it open sesame? But, you know, no, everything's been going well here. Um, in case you don't know me for my work, and you probably don't, I work full-time as a researcher for MLB Network, NECO Network, and I like to do some sports bets modeling on the side with that because, as you would expect from my job, I like working with numbers, working with people. Yeah, I mean, that's what it's all about. Um, there's like a million people want to work for the sports leagues, but uh, they can't even get in the door. Um, I mean, I know like one person that went to Harvard and he got a job at a baseball franchise surname nameless, uh, in the analytics department. Uh, so he's giving me the lowdown on that. So maybe someday we'll get him on the show, but I think he wants to be discreet for now. Um, so like, how did you like become like a researcher for major league baseball and NHL? Thanks, Kevin. So that's a great question, and it's actually one of my favorite stories to tell. So I was just doing my tweeting, and I was doing some work on the NFL playoffs around this time last year, and I was just trying to network with people because I always say if you're trying to grow social media or any other type of brand, you can try to connect with larger communities to add to people's point, or if you want to be controversial, you can disagree with them, but try to make it positive and agree with them. So I was tweeting stats out, and my current boss, um, he said that he was a researcher at MLB Network, and he asked if I was interested in interviewing with them. And I got that. Um, then the second stage of interviews, and I passed that. And they hired me basically because of my tweets off of Twitter and knowing how to connect with people. I That's kind of nuts. I would never expect that you can get hired by an organization that high up just from Twitter. Yeah. It's crazy, right? <laughs> like, But, I mean, that's what I always say. Like, that's what I was trying to do with that because I know it had worked for some people in the past that I had worked with. Um, to get guest spots on MLB Network for like, you know, like when they're interviewing Talon and so forth like that. And I figured, why couldn't I do that? Because baseball communities, and I used to ask, it's a really small acting community. So I realized every pocket of Hollywood or entertainment, no matter where it is, is a small world. And if I can take advantage of that world by adding my own steps to it and making everyone else part of the story, because I would always use to respond to every single question I would get for research and make them feel like they're part of the story, they're going to have a good experience with me. And if they have a good experience with me, word will spread with them. And eventually that starts modifying to, you know, eventually where you find people who are in this industry eventually. So if you stay positive, you help people, you make them part of your story. And, you know, really good retention rate, copy rate, people are inclined to read what they ask because it's what they asked of you. Then make it a reality. And it did. So you were just able to, like, were you tweeting at people about some of your research or they were looking for people off Twitter? So you mean the MLB Network people in this case? Yeah, like were they looking oh, for talent on Twitter or uh, were so they, you tweeting They at just them? came to me out of absolutely nowhere when I was tweeting a football status about um, 
is about basically about um, Joe Burrow being sacked a million times in the playoffs last year. And they just wound up in my inbox seeing it from that, basically. And what I realized, I mean, you respond to random people, you use hashtags, um, because that's how you connect with the people within these industries in case the team is interested. Um, but you do everything to make it yourself the broadest appeal possible. So, yeah, it just came out of nowhere. They said they that they had a few positions open in their research department. But that was, I, I don't think, <laughs> it was not my intention to hit up on them necessarily, but I'm glad they found it somehow. I mean, I'm glad they're using non-traditional avenues for finding people um, rather than just, because everyone wants to work for them, I'm sure. So rather than just, having a job fair and going with the most polished candidate who may not be the most passionate about baseball uh, or even the most able. Now, like what type of research do you do for them? Um, Are you, uh, you know, scraping box scores uh, to get certain statistics? Are you looking at the stuff that's already available? Um, Like what's the day-to-day like if you're a researcher? So that's a good question. Um, it really depends on the day, which is why I think really makes it fun, in my opinion. Someday I want to be in front of the screen because, you know, that'd be really fun. But what I do usually is I'll write a game preview. So we write a packet that goes out to the people who are on air, basically a game preview every day for every single game. And depending on the day, it's one to four of those. Um, it could be, a, we do it for every MLB game, every NHL game. And we'll use beat writers, we'll use Twitter, we'll use The Athletic, we'll use all these different sources to compile friends and stories of things that are interesting. So it's not always necessarily stats. It can be. But we also want to, we want to get a feel for the team. Like if there's a quote that's notable or like something that's interesting, like let's say it's a mom's trip for the hockey team. We want to talk about that because, you know, it's kind of an interesting discussion point. But once those are done, because sometimes my entire day can be writing game previews, but let's say it's not. Start making graphics. Re- we'll start putting in data that I research for graphics requests. Like, Oh, what what has a team done in their last 10 games? Oh, what has this player done? So what has this general manager done? And that's for like a normal show, not like a betting show. Because we do have betting shows on the MLB side. So sometimes we'll have calls about that. We have like a Zoom call or we'll have a meeting in person more these days since it's post-pandemic. And I'll talk about the picks I like because I have my own method. Um, You know, I got to do that. It's my math. And then eventually I'll start putting in research for what supports whatever they're looking for on like a production standpoint or like someone who's on TV standpoint, or even my own standpoint. And like, let's say it's the betting show. That's like 2000 words I'm going to write between like 1 p.m. and 6 p.m. when it's on Eastern time. And I'll preview why these picks are enticing to people, or I'll often equate for my own picks because I'll say, okay, this pick has a plus EV value of XYZ percent based upon what I think the pick is relative to what the book is, because we are sponsored. So in that sense, it does... um, it shows what I can work with necessarily to say it positively. Yeah, because I believe you're sponsored by BetMGM, and right. for for baseball particularly, they tend to have thirty cent lines, which are not the best amongst um, the re, the. Um, I'm trying to figure out the best word. The le- not just legal books, but the legal books that are widely available. Um, because I know that Caesars, for example, have a 10 cent line. So the house advantage will be about a third of that MGM or half. So like you have a tougher job than someone who's just making bets and not being a color commentator because you have to only use one book that has a bigger house advantage and you can't exactly hit the overnights. 
Um, cause I've always yeah. had success betting the day before. Exactly. I can't, I, it's where I get good closing line value. Cause let's say I find a good pick and it can happen in any book like MTM, for instance, for sure. I can pick it off, but like hoping it lasts until 6 PM when I find it at noon, it's like, Oh guys, we don't want this anymore. It's not any, we've missed the boat. You know, you got to be fast in betting. So. Yeah, exactly. Especially, you know, if there's a pitching change, I mean, certainly if you have a position player out in the lineup, it makes an impact, but it's not as much of an impact as basketball injury news where you have five players on the court. And sometimes the reports just say game time decision. And sometimes you have to watch the warmups to see if they're warming up. Yeah, like look at the Kieran Allen story for, for Cleveland the other night. I mean, that, that was just crazy. He played a couple minutes and he, and he got, went out sick. Now, that shouldn't have been that shouldn't have been refunded, but like it was like this crazy stuff that flies in. Like the th- the thing that's interesting too, I can't bet on the sports I work on, which is interesting too from my perspective, just financially. But it really is interesting because, as you said, I got the limited books. I mean, thanks MTM for paying the bills, but it does make it harder to do my job as it does to make theirs because, as you said, bigger market width on even the most basic props, it's a lot higher juice naturally um, as it compared to like let's say a circa to name an onshore book, but it, it's interesting. So I usually get anywhere between 10 and 20 picks from the producers over a given day. And usually they're from the talent. Sometimes the producers will pin in a book or two and I'll say, Hey guys, right now, obviously subject to change. This play has an X percent plus expected value. We need to go with this. Even if we don't explain it like that, because I'll be honest, I, th- I think explaining expected value relative to own projections is a little bit beyond a lot where a lot of people are with things. Even if I do top down or bottom up, doesn't matter. It's a little bit complex. But trying to explain how we incorporate Bayesian models is a little bit tough. So I say, play this out because, you know, in TV, we're going to say trends. So he's done X in his last five games or whatever. Even if Even if it's kind of really not where I would necessarily trend, if we direct people by saying it's plus EV, we differentiate it to show that it has specialized value. And I've, I've worked that into, I think, the show's uh, lexicon in that regard. Yeah, that's always the tough balance between giving people content they're interested in and giving people content that actually makes a difference in terms of the bets. Right, it's tough. That's why I, tra- I was trying to say, like, I try to use the $100 balance um, equation, basically. So let's say I have a plus EV of 2%. So I try to explain it to them is if you have $100 on this bet, you would expect to make an average of $2 in return profit. And people can understand 100 because it's a nice round number. So Exactly. Like I like using $10 for the people who who don't like betting a lot of money, like $10, $100, $1. Yeah, um, you know, because anything that's like a different number, it doesn't get in people's heads as well. Oh yeah, I've tried to explain how we arbitrage on the same book and how we do middles, and it's 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 an experience certainly how we can explain how we can use arbitrage on the same book, which I'm sure they love having that being explained on the air. How you can take advantage of the same prop, like <laughs> we've had times where the top two guys on a given prop to do something. I'm not gonna say what it was because I don't want to disrespect them, but it was the top two guys, and it was a guaranteed arbitrage opportunity, and it was going to be one of those two guys. So I'm like. Why bother doing either one of these when you can do both and you're guaranteed to make money? Now, does BetMGM or any other sponsor ever come in and say, hey, we don't want you pointing this out or your hands <laughs> off? It hasn't happened. I really am. I, I, I keep expecting that shoe to drop at some point. I feel like I'm Cinderella at the ball. The shoe's going to fall off and they're going to be like, no, you can't do this. 
I mean, I don't think they mind. I think they would only mind if someone is only doing certain angles. And yeah. Like, if, if they watch the show and, you know, or they're winning baseball better, but then they use the casino product and lose their money, or they bet on football and lose their money, then they see it as <laughs> a win. Exactly, because it's recycled into the company at that point. Or if they're doing something like, you know, like a, an online roulette table, which is guaranteed minus EV for the better no matter what. So, I mean, um, I would you would say no matter what, but you never know if there's a promo or something. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that's true. I was, I was just thinking like basic roulette, but yeah, you're right. You never know if there could be a boost. If there's a boost, like a normal roulette, I would never play. If there's a boost on it, we calculate how I evaluate everything, which is, you know, a decent parallel to sports books, right? If there's a boost, you know, I mean, you might as well look into it compared to what you think is a good source if you're bottom up or if you're like top down compared to like what you know of injuries, if there's anything that might not be reflected in that line. Promos aren't always bad. And same thing with, I mean, I know we know this, but like, let's say a bet's minus 200. That doesn't make it a necessarily bad bet because I like to compare it to a can of soup. If we're getting a can of soup for 50 cents and everyone else is offering it for a dollar, which is, let's say it's minus 200 compared to minus 1,000, we're going to take the minus 200 every time. That's outstanding. Assuming it's reliable books that we're basing it off of in that case for that particular model. I mean, I'm hearing this, and this is more of the stuff that needs to be on mass media. Yeah, that's why I'm get in front of the camera. It's basic stuff. People can understand fundamental concepts. People understand what coupon clipping is. People can understand my percentage is bigger than the book's percentage, so therefore we bet it. They don't have to understand the full science, but the core tenets of fundamentals of betting, I think, are basic. I think a junior high student can understand them. So creating the models, if we're doing, you know, creating Bayesian models, maybe not so much. But how we understand data and how we make bets or how we don't, understandable. I mean, I'm a modeler of sorts, but I don't even know anything about Bayesian modeling other than stuff that Plus EV Analytics mentions. So, wait, what makes a Bayesian model different than you know, any other sort of model. So basically, I mean, it, it depends. It, it's basically weighting and based on t-tests and on p-values and stuff like that. It's basically confidence intervals at that point. So basically how confident we are in it. Because we think about if we're doing something like odds jam, like where they take Pinnacle as a baseline book. So basically we're doing that and uh, creating our own values of confidence within uh, given factors like plus EV analytics. He, you mentioned him, he does Bayesian models who I'm trying to replicate a little bit. He does a great job. Um, but one thing he was looking at at the start of the beginning of football season was how teams do with a new offensive coordinator and new head coach, new coach, same offensive coordinator, and all those different things. So we can weight those and see how they've done based upon a given time frame. And then we can run a uh, what's called a student's t-test on those, and we can see if it's statistically significant or not. And if it's significant, then we put it in the model, and then we weight that accordingly. This sounds amazing. Now, what are some things in baseball models that you don't think are being weighted uh, enough when you look at other people's models and their projections? That's, I, th I think that's tough. Um, Cause I guess in your case, you don't care about giving up your edge cause you already are. Yeah. I might have just gone. Yeah. I, I don't want to necessarily sway anyone with what I'm saying. Um, not because I can't bet it, but you know, for the integrity, cause I can't bet myself, but I, I think, I think injuries are a key thing. I think injuries and lineup replacements relative to replacement player, we, we have a basic understanding, I think, even in non-sabermetric communities, something like wins above replacement player for a season. But what does that mean on a micro level? And we can find that out, right? Because if a guy's out, usually we know who's going to replace him. 
Yeah, I mean, you look at the depth charts or you look at to see who's getting um, promoted from the minor leagues, uh, where they would play, what where they're going to bat in the order. Try and figure that in for even the five-inning bets as well. Because um, the top of the lineup matters the most for the lesser inning bets, the three innings, the nerfies, the five innings. The other thing I like to look at, too, there's a site called Ballpark Pal that does a great job with this. People say, and I, I think it's true to an extent, that you're waiting in uh, the weather and everything like that. So what they do is they have the specific park dimensions that impact, and they have great summaries on every park about how each fence is affected by just in general as a baseline, assuming there's, like, no wind. But then it compares it to, like, what the wind and the weather is doing on that given day. It, it's free to use. It's not up right now because it's the off season, but they're really good. That sounds incredible. And I, I always try to write those in the notes, too, because like that's nothing private. It's, it's a public site. Anyone can use it. It's totally free. Um, but they will say, like, um, okay, so a uh, extra base hit is going to get, like, an X percent boost or a decrease today based on that. Um, based upon the weather is, based upon the park heights, the wall heights, the dimension. So it is every little nook and cranny. It's one of, I think, the most underrated and underutilized sites. No, are they perfect? No, no, no one's going to be perfect. I mean, this, that's the nature of sports betting. But I think it's really unique like that. And here I was thinking I, I hit a stroke of genius by getting some of these baseball leagues outside of the United States and coming out with my own ballpark factor stats when they weren't available online. But you go beyond ballpark factor and figure out like what the relationship is for each aspect of the ballpark. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's why I always try to describe you. I don't know if they, I'm trying to remember if they've used this. Yeah, they've used this in my notes. So what I try to do is still describe where like the wind is flying out in these parks. So like, let's talk about the World Series. Like I would say the 399 sign just to the left of right center is where the wind is blowing out today. So let's look at balls flying out there and who has a better ball profile that can translate that way. And it, it's fascinating. Um, and what, um, one thing I'm trying to work on myself, I don't have answers to this, is how much picture windup plays a role into this. I know um, there are certainly some inner things in ballparks. I don't know how public they are or not, um, but regarding batters in a similar fashion to what I'm trying to look at, and I'm trying to basically compare the two, and I, I don't think that's been done yet, at least on a public level. I'm almost positive it's been done um, personally within teams themselves, so not publicly available. Yeah, I just like that so much of this data is publicly available, and it's not treated like a top secret like the Coca-Cola recipe. Yeah, no, no. I don't want to share batters. No. And it's amazing, right? Because you talk about what Fangraphs does, you talk about what baseball reference does. I mean, all these things are available. And granted, some of the resources we use at the network, I'm not going to name them specifically, but we have a lot of private resources. But that one was one that nobody else in the department knew about. But we can use that all the time to really talk about really what the greater baseball narrative is. Um, sports bets are just previewing a game. We can talk about okay, the ball is, the wind is flying really far in. Here's what that means for this batter that we want to talk about or what we want to talk about for, oh, are we going to expect to be high scoring or not? Even if it's not an over-under, it's incredible what these tools are out there. And sometimes I think it helps too to find not necessarily the most commonly known ones, but trying to find things that match what you're looking for. Because I always assume if something's been done, either do it, number one, or number two, someone else has probably already done it. So for I always try to look, I always try to look at number two first because it saves me the effort from trying to figure it out myself. So 
Now, even with the lower vigorish of baseball, someone's not a math nerd. Do they have a chance of being a winning better? Mm, depends what they use. Not typically long-term. You might in the short term. You might get a happy weekend. You might get a long week that looks good, but not long-term, honestly. There are some sources that will let, that you can look at, like you can look at sharp books, but you can use certainly reference points to determine what your odds are to getting compared to what your odds are getting. And that, that's no matter really what the sport is. Just identify what sharp books are. And I think it's important to know what the differences are. And not a good thing or a bad thing, but think about free bet promos if you're beginning better. If you're getting those, they sound great, but usually that means there's not a sharp book. Because the reason they're offering those to you, if you're a new better, is that you're probably just going to lose it just as fast. Which is, you know, a great thing on their end. They lose it just as fast, but they probably get more of that that feeling inside. Because think about when you go to the buffet, right? You see the first thing you see is maybe the salad. Okay, eat that, but you want to eat more. You want to get some of the sweet desserts. You want to get some of the steak. You want to get something nice. It's never just going to stop at the first bite. It's like the old uh, Lay slogan. Once you, once you pop, you just can't stop. Yeah, that was a great Pringles well. slogan. Pringles, that's it, yeah. <laughs> Both are bad for you, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> now, I'm just, um, I mean, in terms of, I think, player props without any sort of math background are beatable with a lot of line shopping and looking at certain things for each player specifically rather than looking at the whole team. Um, because certainly, like, for pitcher strikeout props, if you can get a good handle for how long that pitcher is going to be in the game, especially if you look at the news reports and the coach's tendencies. Um, and then you combine that with the line shopping. I think they're beatable. Um, hey, shout out my girl, Ariel Epstein. Uh, I work with her a lot. She, she does, she does the K prop, the prop queen. Yeah. And, you know, she's, you know, done a lot for spreading awareness about props. Yeah. Cause the sports books in general, feel like, oh, props are just like an amenity. We have them on there so people will bet with us, but we don't want people betting only props. I wish they offered bigger limits. That's the only thing. Like, I mean, admittedly, I can't do them for baseball, but for other sports, I wish I could bet more on them because I feel like so often they're so oddly priced compared to so much of the market, relatively speaking. Like, you think about correlations in football, how, like, the under correlates with the dog and the, the over correlates with the favorite. Well, I mean, Certain things like that apply in other sports, certainly, like football, I think, uh, pass attempts. The higher you go on that, the more likely it is that the team is to lose the game, aside from Tom Brady for some reason. But there was an old rule. I thought it was kind of ridiculous when people said this. I did a football podcast for a number of years, and they said, well, if you throw more than 50 times in the game, you're going to lose. I'm like, well, no, it's not because of that. It's because of the Pareto principle. 80% of the results explained by 20%. Yeah. But so I'm thinking, wait, but these teams are losing because of throwing out of necessity. So if you're really expecting a severe dog, and I don't like parlays that much because it's so ridiculous what they try to sell you on, but if you can try to correlate something that just makes sense, where teams just going to throw a whole lot and they're dogs anyway, it kind of makes sense in that regard. Not all the time, certainly no. But if there's such a talent discrepancy, it's worth noting. And not to say, oh, to get rid of the juice, but if you're getting value that you think is better than your number, you should still bet it, right? Correlations are important. Again, you got to know math for that. You got to know what math is with what. But there are opportunities to be had. I mean, and even so, like, um, they're briefly uh, in, in the Asian baseball leagues where you have run totals of 12 and a half or 13 and a half. 
you'll occasionally have a minus two and a half or minus three and a half uh, run line, regular run line. And some books, one book in particular, accidentally would let you parlay the total with the run line and treat it like two different bets. Mm, well. And I think that lasted like three weeks. And probably the only reason this book didn't limit me is I think I just threw in some other unrelated bets in these parlays too. They probably thought it was like chance that you had stumbled upon it. <laughs> At that's least that's what I was going for. Yeah, that's that's pretty smart. Keep them off the parade. Then the unrelated stuff and other supports, I also had an edge. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, basketball, there's books that will let you parlay a heavy first half favorite with the over or the heavy first half underdog with the under. Um, you just have to do a lot of trial and error and see which bets go through, which bets don't. But for the books that do know what they're doing, there's still ways to look at the correlations or things that aren't correlated that are not priced appropriately. Um, I mean, it's labor intensive. Like one way is to look at multiple books to see how they're pricing a same game parlay. Uh, look at a team's tendencies. Um, and of course, you know, there's a lot of variance. So it's hard for most people to know if they just got lucky um, or if they keep losing and they're actually onto something smart. That's what I try to tell people. You're lucky if you get 60% on these, even if it's like a normal, assuming it's a normal minus 110 line. If you're getting 60% on that, you're doing really well. And 40% of that can easily cluster. You think about just even normally distributive data. I mean, it's a bell curve. I mean, the first standard deviation is what, 68.3%? I mean, you're going to see a lot of variance when when your peak value, essentially, long-term, is less than one standard deviation. Now, did you, like, study, like, math formally, or you only learned math to win at sports betting? Because I'm in that category. I only learned math, really, to win at sports betting. I was a political science major. So here, here's my background on this. Uh, this is fun. So I studied finance growing up. So I, I do hedge funds and stocks and all that stuff, so I, I could take advantage of it there. And then my father did uh, statistics. He worked for Netflix before they got big, Yum Brands, which is like Taco Bell, KFC. He was a, a world statistician. So I got a really big background in this stuff. And um, I got into sports bets, you know, because I live in New Jersey now where the networks are. Until like March of last year, I was in Rhode Island, which is really a limited sports book state. You have Will Hill and that's it. So I got into it recently, but I figured out how to do it really fast based upon my training and my knowledge in other domains that I think are really relevant and really have strong parallels. Yeah, and then once you like win at betting on sports and you have interest in other areas, you want to bet on that when possible. Exactly. You have a skill set. Right. It's really transferable. Like you talk about you talk about people that say it's like options. Yeah, I mean I agree with that. Like especially in an arbitrage case. Like if we're doing black holes, which is a financial options pricing model, basically that we use to hedge and try to get the most puts and calls that match up to become a profitable, depending on the style that we want, like uh Rip, Strangle, Straddle, uh, Iron Condor, all that stuff. It's really comparable. I realize those are a lot of terms that people might not know, but you just have to know that if we put, like, let's say 55% on over, 45% on under, on an arbitrage play, that's really the parallel that comes to mind for sports betting. So the fact that we can have that is remarkable. And I wish we would have some sports, um, some sports book discussion at large with media that compares it to sucks because people know what CNBC is. People know 
how you opt in a stock, in my opinion. And if they don't, you can just understand, you just take a great, you take percent A on this, percent B on that. And people can understand weighting. I, again, I think they understand that. If they don't understand that, you can put me on a scale with the Victoria's Secret model. Which one of us weighs more? It's simple. <laughs> and here I am, you know, I'm not the funniest one on the podcast this week. Usually it's me. So now, like, how did this, you know, interest with MLB dovetail into hockey as well? So I realized that, you know, because I wanted to make sure that I could get stuff all the year round because baseball's not all the year round. And hockey is in, a lot of people don't realize this, it's actually filmed in the same studio as for where we do our work. So it's just to make sure I could work all the year round. And doing that was just fascinating to me because hockey, like baseball, is very prideful of its original history and everything like that. So I like history of sports when I'm not doing like modeling and betting and things like that. And it's something that strikes my fancy just in general as a person. Because, you know, like if we learn things from the past, that way we don't repeat their mistakes. Um, but we can also have historical comparisons. And the people who are in those times are fascinating. So I just find sports fascinating because of the numbers, but also the strategy of what goes on. Um, no matter what it is. Because football, I like to look at film breakdowns and do player now analysis that way. But anytime I can get my hands on large data samples of pools of players that are strategized to reach a common goal, that's interesting to me. It's why I like sports. It's why I like a lot of what I do. It's why, and it's going to sound weird, why I like, for a while there, taking advantage of arcades that were offering more money in return if you won over a consistent pace than what you were paying for the games and you would wind up making money at the arcade so that's my life um hockey baseball anything if i can find a legal advantage to do it i'm going to find it i'm going to take advantage of it and it's why i do social media for people it's how i grew my own twitter business so to speak and how i grow people on youtube because i know how the psychology of these people work so to speak because People are, as much as technology changes, people's psychological responses to the same things, they want a sense of belonging, they want a sense of really something that makes them feel connected to something larger than they are, but they also want to have their own plans. So if we give them the clan advantage of being in that small group where, hey, we can take advantage of this, but also something larger because it's these domains like the sports themselves, um, be they a player, an analyst, or what we're doing right now, then we can really find what strikes the human psyche and we can make it grow like that. So being part of something bigger just makes sense to me as a human, but also why I know about society at large. Yeah. I mean, you brought up the arcade thing and like, I became like somewhat of a arcade advantage player. Oh, um, geez, you know about that too. That's crazy. <laughs> like that's why I'm laughing that you brought up. Cause I had no idea before this interview that you go to arcades and you, are able to like make money winning prizes. I'm only like a zero EV arcade player. Um, but like I want a GoPro, um, want some autographed baseballs, like a, a Seaver baseball. Um, got my dad a Whitey Ford autographed baseball, certificate of authenticity, everything. Uh, people think I'm nuts, but it's a lot of fun. And I am nuts, but I don't need to apologize for that. Uh, especially now that somebody else is nuts as me. It's talking about arcade advantage play. Um, I mean, I think the biggest ones are those, like, where you have to get, like, a set of uh, cards. And if you get the set, you get a big prize. And you figure out which one is the rarest card. So you just sit in a corner, you have somebody play the machine, and then when they run out of money, 
and the valuable card is out, you just dump a whole lot of coins in and you just fire. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of it's like muscle memory, like timing it. Well, when I grew up as a kid, um, I, it's one of my favorite stories. So we, I was playing this, it was like a spin and win. So you, you put the coin in at the right time. And if you stop it at the right number, you win the jackpot. And I was doing it back and back and back and back. And the mom next to me is like, can you do this for my kid? Now, I didn't go as well as I would have liked. But it, it showed me that that is a marketable skill that you can have. Just have some kind of advantage like that. And it just makes sense to do. Because these days, you know, you can do it for drinks. Like, hey, if you get, hey, if you jackpot on this, well, I'll do it for like a drink. Like this, if it, even if it's a Coke. I, I like I like my caffeine at the night. So, you know, it makes sense to do it this way. And claw machines, I'll try to win your kid a prize. Sure. Because claw machines are what I'm best at, even if you can't get tickets from it. That's that's what I grew up with, learning how to win at the house. I mean, that is nuts. And I certainly love to get someone who is just only an arcade advantage player on the show because the sports betters out there can, can learn a thing or two, especially yeah. when you look at the, the manuals for the arcade machines. Oh, yeah. I mean, because it's not well, like... I read the manuals of what you can do. It's like why, when I look at certain games with clowns, when I see two people, I'm like, you are ruining it for everybody else. Would you say that like Twitter is a godsend for connecting with similar minded people? Uh, because it's kind of hard when you have a specific interest and you're just out in the world. Yes and no. So I think it's important uh, for not only your specific circles, but like I'm saying, you can expand beyond that. So you can connect circles because let's say someone maybe it's an advantage player at an arcade, but they like the arcade or they just want to do something nice for their kids. Then you can convey that knowledge. So even lesser connections, in my opinion, are important and you can connect that way. Because the world is finite in what it offers. And in, the, in that sense, that's a great thing. Finiteness really connects us because we know of what arcades are. We might not know of what advantage play is in arcade, but we know of an arcade that we've seen in a video. Like, think about, um, his, what's his name? What's his name? The uh, Mark Rober. Mark Rober. We know of those videos and how you can take advantage of them that way. So in that sense, it's become a common discourse about how robots can do it. We have something like that. Everybody knows about it, or at least online, at least, because we're talking online interactions. And it's Mike spreads. Rober. Mark Rober is a former NASA engineer, and he he does a lot of scientific experiments, like he did creating a pool of jello. He, he does a lot of astrophysics and physics and so forth like that, which is, I think, fascinating. It's not my background, but it's like, it reminds me that we can find something that's bigger than ourselves, or something we might not know of, because like, he did a squirrel race one time of like connecting people online. And it's like, why would I watch a squirrel race on a line for an obstacle course? But we don't know what squirrels are. And we think it's kind of crazy, right? That we could kind of connect with the racing concept. Because again, everybody knows what squirrels are. Everyone knows where the race is, um, regardless of depth. And that's, a, that's I think, the key thing to really connecting these communities. It's barrier to entry. We want it to be as basic as possible so we can connect them any as possible. But we don't want it to be misleading. But there's nothing misleading about squirrels racing. We all understand those two concepts. And the fact that we can quantify that is really a bonus in my opinion, but it also gives greater credence to really sports betting market, animals, races, uh, science and technology. Those are four separate threads that can go in so many different directions that are unrelated, but they tie into one here. So everything interconnects because of the finite nature of knowledge. Same way, because um, I used to be a very big uh, phone trivia player. You remember HQ Trivia? Don't know anything about it, but it sounds like something my dad would be good at. 
because he's a four-time Jeopardy champion. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> so, um, so a few years ago, I would do HQ trivia and a bunch like it, and you would, uh, you would have to get twelve or eleven if you had an extra life. Twelve questions right in a row with three choices, ten seconds to answer each. I won about anywhere from ten to twenty thousand dollars just pressing the buttons on my phone for a very minimal upfront cost, basically. Maybe it was like five hundred total to do that. Um, and I, I work with a team. It's kind of like a syndicate in a betting world. But again, you just find where people are giving you money to try these things at no risk to you. Um, not everyone's going to be. There are some backstories about what wrong went wrong there. I was not the most mature person, number one. And number two, how those companies treated us because we won. Oh, yeah, this is perfect. So, you know, sports sports books, some of them are going to limit you. These guys would kick us out in the middle of the game. They would change our answers to ABC. They wouldn't let us win because we were winning too much. That sounds familiar. Now, was there any sort of, like, legal recourse for them doing it? Because they aren't necessarily a gaming company. They're offering a product. We tried. Their their clause indicated arbitration only, thankfully, um, which was really ridiculous. But no, um, I had some friends lose uh, well into five figures by doing it that way through no fault of their own because the company didn't want us to win. This is individually. So, like, when it went to arbitration, what did the judge say? Never went there. Ah, so you avoided it? Um, so for whatever reason, the people I know dropped out or one of them got one of them got paid seemingly. But the other one, I don't know why he dropped out. I, I don't know the full story there, but he dropped out and he didn't pursue it further. I mean, it just sounds weird that you're offering a product where someone's going to be winning anyways. You're not you're yeah. competing against other players and skill base. And then you say you can't do it because the argument for the sports book is you're competing directly against the sports book. Right. And the sports book is. Yeah, that's what's actually that's interesting. So the sports book's not guaranteed to give out a certain amount of money. Like let's say a thousand, a thousand plus one thousand prop picks. Not everyone's going to pick that, so it's probably going to have less payout. Even if we don't really use that as like oh what people should pick, it's regardless of a payout. So this game had a format where you could take a certain amount of money, like jump from four cents to four dollars to forty dollars to four four hundred to four thousand to forty thousand, and I think that might have been part of it too because. I love that format because you could win so much in a night and our group just smashed them hard for it, but they didn't guess it necessarily guarantee um, upping that. Um, they didn't necessarily giving that away. So they wound up having to change it from 25 questions to 30 questions because we were just beating them routinely over and over and they didn't anticipate it. It's like a betting syndicate, but trivia syndicate. I mean, I'm just learning new things about, there's arcade syndicates, there's trivia syndicates. Mm-hmm. Any other syndicates I'm missing on? Because Yeah, I'm trying to learn about them. So I'm trying to, uh, what, what I've tried to hook up on, it's not even a syndicate, is realizing that there are small pockets of YouTube. Because that's my next goal in things, aside from trying to get on TV, get on Jeopardy. Because like I said, I like trivia. Well, my thought is that YouTube has small pockets of people that are collected together. I don't even know if these people are aware of this, but I look at Mr. Beast. I don't watch Mr. Beast much, but I know... His style a very specific format that if two people were left, there will always be an offer that's combined more than the original offer, so it looks like everybody wins. And number two, that it's always his friends. Well, that's not a bad thing. If anything, it's a great thing for anyone like me or anyone trying to blow up on social media. Like the real world, friendships and the French would call it um, the what are they call they call it copain copain. They have they have three different terms for friends that are in differing quality. Um, 
of how close you are with somebody. We don't have that in the English language. We just have friend and, I guess, boyfriend, girlfriend. But So, in these videos, we keep wind up seeing friends and people that we're close with or people that we consider ourselves similar to in crossovers or, you know, like rating on Twitch TV or something like that. But if we start to get to these creators, they're going to start to know you, be it through monetary or just giving them ideas, then they're going to start to build themselves towards you. And you start to build up reputations in the chat through actions of monetary, financial actions, or helping people, then you're going to be starting to known through the chat, but also the creator that you're trying to emulate. Now, ideally, what you do here is it's a creator that's similar to what you want to create, because then people are going to start you associate with the creator, and the creator's content is similar to yours. So when you're creating your own stuff, people are going to realize, I recognize that name. This person also does this. And in that sense, people hate change, right? I, th I think people should be a little bit more accepting of change, but if, if they realize that there's not even much of a drop-off in terms of what they're going to watch compared with this person versus me. It's why we're okay with Mr. Beast having his friends because they're familiar in that regard. Why I want to work with somebody who does something similar to me because it's similar to what I want to do. And that's where you find, I think, its own syndicate. I don't think a lot of people on YouTube realize that they're acting like this, but it affects you psychologically and long-term if, if the person chooses to act upon it, to act like this. That's just the core tenets of friendship in that regard. It sounds cheesy, like it's an after-school friendship. Oh, you make friends and you win in the end. But it's true, because the psychology of it makes sense. I mean, I just think about a lot of the guests I've had on the show already. Like, some of the first ones are people I talk to, like, multiple times a week. Vegas Sports Fools. Um, Clyde Bixby. Uh, James Liang, the guy, the former football player who has a college football model that's the closing line at a ridiculous rate uh like all these people i met that i communicate with and then like we all pull together you know information on our usual sports like i would go on there and say oh this euro league player is a game time decision so make sure to watch this game and live bet it if you see this player's playing uh a certain way because i don't think the line will adjust properly and right another person would be like Oh, here's something in UFC I've noticed, or here's something in women's tennis I've noticed. Exactly, it's it's that model where you're where you're not necessarily, and I think this critical. I think people need to understand this too. Trends sell because they're good for media, but looking at information that isn't reflected in the lines. I had a tweet about this earlier today, January thirteenth, about how saying the the Alex Monahan's a great guy who runs Odds Game. He was saying, oh, oh, the books already account for increase in everything. Necessarily though, like I mean. You brought up the game time decision guys. Those aren't necessarily baked into the line because if a guy's a game time decision, sort of a syndicate like what you're describing, then you might they might not be reflected in the lines necessarily because the books aren't what they used to be. These syndicates can get the information before the books do, and boy, they can hammer those lines. A lot of it is also like for those derivative bets, like the quarters, figuring out like how the team's bench will be affected by an injury, uh, looking hmm. at the rotations. Because certain teams, their starters are going to be healthy, but they're going to have a whole bunch of uh, second team players that are hurt, and you can bet you can target alternate lines against them in the second quarter. I like do, doing as an angle because there's one specific book I'm not going to mention them that doesn't know how to price alternate second, third, and fourth quarter lines because I just scraped all the data up of all the past scores and figured out the standard deviation on each quarter. What you got to do. And so then that with some of the qualitative research on who's playing and what I think the coach is going to do with the bench. 
Yeah, you think about, I mean, no, I mean, it's it's not as easy as it used to be because more people are entering the space. But back in the day, um, basketball was more positional. I mean, you can still certainly take advantage of it with players that are going to be out. But like you said, that goes back to what I was saying earlier, and I completely agree. If someone's out, who replaces them and what does that mean for everybody else? It's, it's not baseball's myth of, oh, he has protection in the lineup, but it's more like, you know, what is this player expected to do, like on an average given day, relative to whatever your projection is, be it an external source or your own. College basketball can be a, lit more, a little bit more difficult to apply this to because, unfortunately, you have halves and not quarters. Yeah. But at least women's college basketball and WNBA, you have quarters, 10 minutes long. Yeah, you know what I miss? Because this site is down now, and this, this used to be a really nice site, Value Add Basketball for men. They would have every player everywhere. And you could just base, and they would do like a 10 point scale based upon offense and defense. And you could just kind of plug them in that way relative to your model if you wanted. It was really nice. But he wasn't able to do it this year because something happened with his status. And I don't know the specifics, but it's like, and he says he might not be able to do it again. I'm like, I mean, I'm like, I'm so thankful for what he's done over the years, but it's also saddening to see that I can't use that as a source as much as I wanted to. So that's why I'm saying it now. <laughs> or what do you do when you have web pages that are not in English that have this useful data? Oh, oh, that, that's why I studied French, because that'll help me if I'm studying the Uber Eats League 1, but it doesn't help too much if I'm studying Spanish. The, the translate works pretty well, especially for the, the ones that have Asian characters in it. Oh, boy. <laughs> it translates it pretty well. That's good, at least. You're I know there's an app. Phonics, but at least you'll get the name in the statistical category. Yeah, there's an app. I'm trying to remember what it is. It's on my phone. So you can scan a text, like like if it's on like glass, like in a store sign, or on your computer, you can scan it, and it will translate it for you, which is kind of cool. I mean, I noticed for VLOOKUPs, I have okay. issues with accents oh. that I haven't been able to get through, but Japanese, Korean, Mandarin, no issues. Oh, that's really good to know, though. I still don't know a single word, even if I heard a phrase. But looking at it on paper, I can tell who's a Lin. I can, I can, I can tell who's a Kim. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, on that note, do you have any last words for our audience? I just want to thank you so much for having me. I, I, I mean, I hope you enjoyed your time with me. And you know, if you have any questions for me. Hit me up. I, I always can't answer everything, but as much as it's possible within the confines of what I do, I'm happy to answer. That's that's my job as much as it is anything. Um, even if it's like a line, because I don't I don't wager as much as I would like to. So I'm happy to help out with what I see as an interesting line for you, and I'll try to tell you what a book a good book is for you in your state. So, all right, Jessica, thanks for coming on. Right, thanks, Kevin. Been an absolute delight talking with you today. Big bomb. Bomb bangers. Boogie down.